1970, a 17-year-old girl went for a walk, and she hasn't been seen since. Was she the first victim of the infamous Highway of Tears, or did she disappear on her own? This is the story of Helen Claire Frost. In 2017, Michelle Johnston set out on a mission. Michelle was adopted as a baby, but now she set out to find her birth mom. She was able to get her original birth registration, which had her birth mom's name on it, Helen Claire Frost. Once Michelle had a name, she began with some modern day research, the internet. And without a doubt, she was shocked by what she learned. Helen Frost was listed as a missing person with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It wasn't that she was just missing. She had been missing since 1970, the same year that Michelle was born. Helen Claire Frost was born October 17, 1952 in England. By 1956, Helen's family moved to British Columbia in Canada. As a teenager, Helen and her older sister Sandy spent much of their summers traveling around British Columbia. They would find jobs and work as berry pickers, and then they would just hitchhike around different areas. They often hitchhiked with truck drivers and they would get the drivers to buy them food. And while today that may alarm a whole lot of people, back then it was more normal and no one really thought too much of it. In the fall of 1969, at 17 years old, Helen moved to Prince George, British Columbia with Sandy, and they shared an apartment with another woman named Darlene. At the time, Helen was dating a man named Stefan Drumpner, and she was pregnant. Helen and Stefan, they weren't married, and she was ultimately sent to a home for unwed mothers. So this part is news to me, and I had no idea that this was ever a thing. But according to the Washington Post, a home for unwed mothers was a maternity home that was mostly ran by religious groups in Canada. In Canada, these homes were common through the 1960s and early 70s. So these women would be sent to these homes to wait out their pregnancies, where they were being told that having a child outside of marriage would be a disgrace to them and the child. Over the course of their stay, the mothers would be coerced and forced into signing adoption papers in order to give the children to older, middle-class families that quote-unquote deserved children. A lot of the times, the mothers weren't even told if they were having a boy or girl, they never got to hold their baby or even see the baby once they gave birth. And that's exactly what happened to Helen. On May 13th, she gave birth to her daughter. She never got to hold her daughter or anything. She was immediately taken out of the room, and soon after, Helen was sent home. After she returned home, her and Stefan ended up breaking up. I couldn't find any details on why they broke up, but I can only imagine that she was going through a very traumatic time. And another thing that Helen was dealing with that couldn't have been easy, her roommate Darlene had a newborn baby in the apartment with them. 
That summer, Helen tried to regain custody of her daughter, but was unable to. Sandy later reported that she just remembered seeing Helen leaving the social worker's office crying, and then they never talked about it again. On October 13, 1970, Sandy arrived home around 8 p.m. Helen asked Sandy if she wanted to go for a walk, but it was cold outside, so Sandy decided not to go. Helen said that she was going to go for a walk alone, and she left the apartment about 20 minutes later. And that was the last time that Helen has ever been seen. When Helen didn't return home that night, Sandy figured that she may have just walked to a friend's house and was staying there. It wasn't until two days later, on October 15th, that Sandy reported Helen missing to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The RCMP began investigating the disappearance, but there really wasn't much to go off of. No one knew where Helen was going to walk to, whether it was to a store, a friend's house, or even what direction she began walking. The RCMP did interview Stefan because he was the ex-boyfriend, and that's usually one of the first suspects and a good place to start. But they said that they didn't think he had anything to do with her disappearance. They also questioned several other friends and family members, but no one had any other information. And it didn't seem like any of her friends or family were involved in her disappearance. There was one tip that came in that said that Helen was seen getting into a semi-truck after hitchhiking near a gas station but the RCMP was never able to verify if this tip was true or not. While there's no real evidence on what happened to Helen, there are a few theories that have been investigated. One is that she ran away, and maybe while on the run she was met with foul play. While I don't know about this because she asked Sandy to go on a walk with her, so if she was running away, why would she ask that? Also, she left her purse behind, her money, and her ID. So with leaving all that behind, you wouldn't think she would get too far running away. Another theory is that Helen may have committed suicide. It's evident that Helen was going through a lot of stress, being forced to give up her child, trying to get her child back, and then being denied, going through a breakup, and then having to live with another baby being reminded every day about her own. And all of that was within a few months and enough to weigh on anyone. But thinking of that theory, I go back to why would she invite Sandy on a walk if her plan was to go somewhere to harm herself? The next two theories that we're going to cover are a little more in depth. They include a possible connection to a bank robbery, and then one to a possible serial killer. Over the last few years, I've been writing a fictional book called One Moment, and it's now available on Amazon. It's based in St. Augustine, Florida, and it tells the story of Micah and Sarah. After spending six years in the army, Micah returned to his hometown. Returning home was never part of his plan, but after the physical, emotional, and mental stress from war, home was the best place for him. Sarah is beginning to put her life back together after escaping an abusive marriage. At 24 years old, She's a 911 dispatcher living in St. Augustine. While she is starting to heal, she crosses paths with Micah. Immediately, there is an undeniable connection between the two of them, and they know that they were put in each other's lives for a reason. When Sarah's jealous and abusive ex-husband finds out about the new relationship, he has to get involved himself. While this puts a strain on Sarah and Micah's relationship, dark secrets begin to come out. 
and they learn that maybe you never truly know someone. And sometimes the best and the worst things in life can all be traced back to one moment. One moment's available now on Amazon. It's $9.99 for a paperback copy and $2.99 for an ebook. The Amazon link is in the show notes. And if you read it, I really hope you enjoy it. And please let me know what you think of it. Okay, bear with me for a minute because this theory is a little out there too. But it's worth noting because it's actually being looked at by the RCMP. On May 30th, 1974, in New London County, Connecticut, police were given a tip about a murdered woman and her then-boyfriend. The tip led police to a shallow grave where they found a woman wrapped in a blanket. By the time the police recovered the woman's body, it was only a skeleton. She was in the grave with a man named Gustavus Lee Carmichael, who was a bank robber. Gustavus's partners, Richard and Donald, were ultimately arrested and they confessed to murdering Gustavus and the female. But here's the iffy part of all this. No one knew the female's real name or age, including Gustavus. All three of them had just met her within a few months of December 1970 and Helen disappeared on October 13th. The name that the female was going by was Lorraine Stahl, but they all knew that that was an alias. The two men confessed to killing the woman and Gustavus because she found out about their criminal activities and they were worried that she would turn them in. But she had started dating Gustavus and they knew that they couldn't just kill her, so they killed them both. I get this doesn't make much sense either. British Columbia is on the complete opposite side of the continent from Connecticut. And on top of that, it's two completely different countries. Then you factor in the same question that keeps popping up. If she was running away to America to do something there, why would she have invited her sister on the walk? But what if Helen knew Sandy wouldn't go on the walk? It was late at night and cold outside. So what if she just asked her to make it seem like everything was normal, and then the tip about her getting into a semi-truck with a driver was a real tip which might explain how she made it to the other side of the continent? Well, that's just a theory, here's where a little bit more connection comes in. Police put together a composite sketch with anyone that had any interaction with this Jane Doe when she was alive, and the sketch had a remarkable resemblance to Helen Frost. On top of that, the Jane Doe was estimated to be in her late teens to her 20s. She had brown hair, was estimated to be between 5'2 and 5'6, and weighed about 110 to 115 pounds. Helen had brown hair, she was 5'5, five five and weighed between 100 and 125 pounds, and was 18 years old at the time. So the timeline matches up, the facial features match up, the hair, height, age, and weight all kind of line up. While this has been a theory that's been brought up, they still haven't been officially linked. As of August of 2020, the Jane Doe still hasn't been identified as Helen or anyone else. The Connecticut State Police and the RCMP still have not ruled out that they are connected or not. Then here's one of the final theories that I briefly discussed in the Maddie Scott episode. 
If you haven't listened to the episode on Maddie Scott, go check it out because it's very similar to this where a young woman just disappeared into thin air in Canada. And one of these theories is that it's related to the Highway of Tears. EPANA is a task force that was created by the RCMP in order to investigate the disappearances and murders of young women throughout Canada along the area that's been dubbed the Highway of Tears. The RCMP has not officially placed Helen on the list of victims believed to be a result of the Highway of Tears. Sandy did request that they place her on the list, hoping that the task force would be able to look more into the case. But according to Sandy, she was told that Helen's case didn't meet the criteria to be on the list, whatever criteria that is. But here's the thing. The Highway of Tears cases all happened along Highway 16 in Canada. Highway 16 runs straight through Prince George, right where Helen lived. I did a little research on Google Maps. Helen lived around the 1600 block on Queen's Way. That's where her apartment was at. Highway 16 is only 8 blocks north of the apartment. Then, Highway 16 makes a 90 degree turn and it goes south. And when it does this turn, it's only 9 blocks away from her apartment on the west side. So, she could have walked in pretty much four different directions leaving her apartment. Two of those directions would have led her straight to Highway 16. But the first official victim listed on the Highway of Tears case is Ginny Samper. She was 18 years old, and she went missing on October 14, 1971. One day off from the one-year anniversary of Helen's disappearance. I know this episode's a little bit different than previous ones. There's mostly just a lot of speculation and trying to figure out theories on how this young woman just disappeared without a trace. While there aren't any answers, there is one positive thing that came from this case. When Michelle began searching for Helen, she was shocked to find out that Helen was a missing person. While she hasn't gotten to meet her mom, she did end up getting to meet Helen's sister, Sandy. After 45 years, Michelle and Sandy finally met each other. Sandy told the Global News that finding Michelle was like having a piece of her family back. Now, the two are working together, still searching for answers for Helen. I'm interested in seeing what you all think, so comment or send me a message on Facebook or Instagram at Crime Nerds Podcast. Thank you for listening, and if you could, please leave this show a rating or a review. It really helps the show out a lot, and I greatly appreciate it.